podcast. I am your host, Pero Fuerte, Veronica Perez, and accompanying me is my main hombre here is going to be Ricardo Mexicano. Say hi to the people. Hey, it's your boy, uh, back in effect. I never left. Still here. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm, I'm kidding. Nah, it's great to be here. Uh, yeah, uh, Ricardo Mexicano, the one and only Mr. Give Your Girl Back. You know, not take her, but I'm gonna give her back, you know, so. How so, humble so, of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, whoever out there worrying about their chick, I'm like, oh, Ricardo, can you please give her back? I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give her back to y'all. Here, here you go, man. So, you know, humbleness and, you know, just a very nice person all around. It's funny because there's been this theory that's been rumbling around in my head lately about the FID. I think I've told you about this. Do you know what the FID stands for, Ricardo? Yeah, yeah, you told me. Yeah. I don't want to say it just because have you, if you notice the the first the the two podcasts we've done I have been cursed one bit. Yeah. And oh yeah, that's right. I don't that's really right. curse when it comes to like podcasts. Uh. Just because I try to like, I in my mind I'm like I want to get the most uh, accessibility out of it. And, you know, uh-huh. if I ever want to show, like, my grandma or Ann, I don't really want to be, you know, cutting up a storm. See? Uh, uh, I don't mind if you do it. I don't care. But, like, me personally, that's how I always felt when it comes to, like, even on Minority Agenda, I, I hardly ever curse, you minority know? Minority Agenda was his other podcast that yeah. he, like, initially cheated on me with you yeah, guys. Exactly. With uh, his uh, boy, Isaiah. Uh, what was his And Jacob. Jacob. Yes, Isaiah. Oh, yeah. Jacob was only on for a couple of episodes. No, though. no, no. Jacob was a oh. core. He was he was a part of the three. That does go into your whole FID thing. Yes. If you want to talk about it. Yes. Okay. So FID, you guys, it's been this theory that's been rumbling around in my head lately. And FID stands for fuckboys in disguise. We have this whole theory about, you know, nice guys finish last. The thing about it is, is that in this day and age, I have come across, I mean, not just in my personal life, but, you know, whenever I watch media and different things like that, is that... Men seem less and less willing to be straightforward with women now more than ever before. And by that, I mean in general, like a fuckboy in disguise is someone who will tell you everything that you want to hear, will tell you that they're really a nice guy and that they wish the best for you and et cetera, et cetera, and that they'll quote unquote, they don't want you to wait for them, but... They also don't want you to let go of the possibility of the two of you guys being together. And you see how that is some wishy-washy shit right there? I don't, I don't, I feel like there's another word for it. Because I feel like when it, when you refer to an FID, point isn't, isn't the relationship. It's just mm-hmm. a hit and a split. For me, oh, at least. Okay, like, yeah, because okay, I'm thinking, okay. I'm like, okay, at that point, that just sounds like somebody who's just selfish. That doesn't sound like a FID. To me, FID is like, you know, the dude that are like, yeah, I'm finna sweet talker. I'm finna say everything I want. And as soon as I, I, I can get, get in the draws, I'm out. But you know what? See, now we're getting into semantics, too. Yeah. Because when I think about a fuckboy, I don't necessarily think of someone who just wants to hit it and quit it. Because women have that side of themselves, too. Yeah, you know, fine. like, that's a sexual liberation thing. As long as it's consensual. I, I, I've, I've never had any problems on either side, male or women, if they want to do that. And yeah. everybody's in accordance with each other. Then, yeah, cool. Go ahead. Have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My thing is just... I'm going to talk about myself. So, like, I am very... I've always considered myself pretty straightforward when it comes mm. to women. I But I don't but I don't play up the nice guy card. Yes. Because uh, that's an evil card to play sometimes. It is. Let me fucking tell it is. you. And I, and I don't want to fall into that into that ploy. Because I, mm-hmm. I know genuinely, yes, I know I'm a pretty nice person. Mm-hmm. But I don't... I, I'm not the one to, like, verbalize and be like, oh, 
you know, or make an excuse for like, oh, why didn't she wanna, you know, go go to go to Chuck E. Cheese with me, bro? You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I was gonna win her that that golden Mickey trophy up there, like you know, like yeah, I was gonna let her have all my tokens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna give her all the tokens. Now it's on a credit card. You know uh-huh. that? Oh you know, yeah, that's it's right. It's on a little credit card, debit card thing, whatever. I personally have never tried to play that card just because I'm like. I think what guys get messed up all the time is that are they want to be rewarded for doing the bare minimum. Oh fuck! Ooh, speak it again, Come Ricardo. On, man. Speak and it I, again. That's what I always felt like. Like I, you know, and and don't and like don't get me wrong. Don't get it twisted. I wasn't always like this. Yeah, I was a teenager too, where yeah. I just was like, you know, if I did something nice, oh, why don't she want to like talk to me anymore? You know, of you course, need I, instant gratification. Of course, I went through like that phase. Moral decency. Right. Of course, I went through that that phase of like wanting, you know you know, more, whether it be, like, holding hands, a kiss, whatever. I went through that. But as I grew older, I started to learn, like, I can't expect me being the person that I know I am, a genuine person that, you know, tries to care for everybody's feelings. I can't ask for all the money in the world when I'm just doing, you know, just enough. A minimum amount of investment. A a minimum amount of investment, yeah. I can't, I can't ask for more trades in the stock market if we want to get into economics when i'm just yeah if we go (laughs) because i don't know when i just when i'm just you know working off the dividends it's gonna take it's gonna take time and i feel like the women's that 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 genuinely can see the the guys you know they're gonna they're gonna appreciate you you know it's not gonna be overnight you know because you know just like anybody else they have to get to know you but they're gonna appreciate you eventually and if and if and if she doesn't then you know, it's tough, but you have to, you know, kind of move on from that point. You're very right on, like, you hit the nail on your uh, on the head about uh, expecting a return with minimum amount of investment, you know? And the pattern that I've seen is that whenever there are two people and one person is investing very, very little, the natural instinct for the opposite party is to try to overcompensate not just for their investment but for the other person's lack of investment and suddenly one person is investing 15% while the other person is investing 85 you know moving on here uh, we were also going to touch on hot take culture and hyperbole culture I know that we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording and how I sort of tokened it as uh, caps culture where now in the world of Twitter and everything I just like especially now when it comes to album time and as soon as an album comes out it either has to be like you said either straight fire or straight trash and both have to be completely emphasized with all caps all flame emojis repeated like 16 different times yes like if, like if repeating it will somehow make it a better album yes yeah. like all the emphasis on the syllables like yeah, yeah. all of that and like clap emojis between every syllable yeah, yeah. um but yeah and i i think that sort of creates a weird uh, when it comes to rating any sort of art uh whether it's music movies um anything like that because unless you're the absolute best you're the absolute trash like there's no in between i just don't i just don't think that's cohesive to a good artistic process you know what i just thought about what that i think really plays into it that this whole you know one one it has to be either this or that you know the extremes of, of the spectrum is mm-hmm. it's really cultish when you really think about it mm-hmm. and i think you know social media has a lot to play into it because before let, let's say 2005 you know you were you were middle school 
you had a selected group of friends, right? Um, and y'all, let's say, bonded over, I don't know, Coldplay. You know, y'all were, re- y'all were really <laughs> yeah. into Coldplay. You know, that really yeah. trendy Coldplay yeah. album that yeah. came out when yeah. I was 12. Yeah. Y'all were all really into Coldplay. And let's say it was just four of you. Let, yeah. Like, for you instance. Like, let's say it was just you and, like, three other girls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think within that group, you're going to have, like, the obvious notion of, like, standing out. You know, you guys are, like, huge fans. You guys wish you can go see these guys live one day. You know, just the whole aspects of being a fan. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, social media was existing at this time, but it's nowhere what it is now. But tr- transform that now to where y'all, y- your group of friends, is now announcing that level of passion behind this project or this band to millions of other people. And now you got the ears of others. And now it's like, all right, you guys, it's propaganda time. We have to let everybody know that this person is... The, the greatest, the greatest there the is. The goat, the even, hot take. Even though they just put out like one album three years mm-hmm. ago and they haven't put out nothing since, we have to remind people that, hey, remember this one song by this one person that was pr- kind of good? But I'm not, I'm not going to paint it as just being modest. No, I have to let you know that this person is, or this band, whatever you want to call it, is the greatest thing on, on God's green earth. So I, like I said, I think it's very cultish just because it's like, I don't think people are brainwashed, but I think it's just this innate feeling of loyalty that you have upon yourself to, like, let people know that, hey, this is... And, of course, Stan culture also plays into that a lot. Stan Twitter. Oh, yeah. Very people want to create camps. It's like we live in a... I mean, outside of just politics, I feel like we're really living in a bipartisan universe, you know? When it comes to the... Everything. The flame and the... Yeah. I don't know of everything. I don't know if the bipartisan uh, thing can, uh, can apply to everything. I mean, name something that people are really okay with being in between about. Like giving their, oh, it's so-so. Oh, it's okay. I I can't remember the last time I read a review article, whether it's on an album or anything else, where people are like, eh, it's lukewarm. Probably like a John Legend album. Uh, Well, yeah. (laughs) True that. Oh, poor thing. I mean, he's super talented. I I don't know. No, I know. I know. But I think they're just certain artists certain people who kind of just fall into this this funk that's really it's really strange how they kind of get there because they could they could be legends in the game mm. but maybe just because and they can have longevity but they'll go through that moment where it's just like they'll pile a project and be like what's cool yeah. and you know move on to the next thing and it's like i and i've 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 felt that way a lot of times when listening to people like Common for instance like i really mm-hmm. love Common. i think he's like you know one of the greatest to ever do it he has some classic albums that is one but, handsome man. Yeah, say. and there's like, but there's like certain things that he'll put out, and I'm like, it's just not that good. And I just, and I feel like crap for it. I'll feel terrible because I'm like, man, this is common. Why do I not feel? But I mean, uh, it's just like that. But that, at least you're being honest with yourself instead of letting yourself get swept up by the hype and convincing yourself that this is the greatest shit ever and standing for it whenever it might just be just a height, you know? Yeah. And I think that also can play into things that are, like, legitimately crap. But, mm-hmm. you know, because it has such this cult following, people are going to convince you that, hey, this is a lot better than you think it is. Even yeah. though you really know it's pretty low-brow material. I just wish that we had, that we would create more space in the internet where, and maybe it's because of just how dense 
and populated the internet is in general with information that in order to stick out with an opinion whether it's uh, or whether it's to stick out with a piece of art or whatever it may be that it has to be either really really good or really really fucking bad and it just like that that leaves no room for nuance and that's what really bothers me it's like i want i want something that i do one day in the freaking future if it's not the best i don't want it to automatically be the worst thing in the fucking world Ricardo. yeah like i don't want it to be like can i be somewhere in the middle for a little bit you know until we rise to the top and accomplish it all right but like, i but you know what's a good thing that's kind of risen out of this whole uh spectrum of like mm. you know hot takes is that what may be set aside or outcasted today yeah can be you know let us put aside to be marinated and appreciated later i feel like we've seen that a lot lately i think a lot more as things get more advanced and just how how fast information moves when it comes to like certain albums and that will be more prevalent to go back to these projects that we may have Sometimes you gotta let certain albums. Yeah, cook. you you, ha- yeah. you do have to let certain albums definitely sit, yeah. and like Short, and and then rediscover it for yourself, or maybe somebody else just put you on, mm-hmm. and you look it up, and you start you know looking at the song, and you're like, man, this really, I don't remember this thing hitting. This thing hits different in 2030, like you know. Yeah. Like I think there is um I don't re- I don't really know what it is. I don't know why for some reason we've. Is it because we're so quick to reject that when we, we discover it and actually take the time, we actually realize that, hey, we were kind of wrong and at that at that point? You think that's what it is? Do you mean in a sense of, like, uh, uh, an album coming back to, like, resurgence uh, and it being better than we remember it? Is that what yeah, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, like, I think one of the best examples was just how... So I, I was a really big Little B fan back mm-hmm. in, like, um, high school, like, junior year. Like, so, like, 2010, uh, 2011, and y'all back then cannot convince me that y'all did not like, uh, or that y'all loved Little B. I mean, because y'all, a lot of y'all that I met absolutely hated him, mm. but myself and a couple others, you know, maybe it was kind of tongue-in-cheek because his music was very uh, ignorant yeah. for, like, all the right ways, <laughs> in my opinion, yes. and, you know, but people completely, you know rid them off like they were like oh this guy is you know trash he's killing hip-hop that same narrative like whenever there's something different going on like he's rapping about nothing you know his rhymes are incoherent he's not on beat it, the mixing's wrong whatever i mean so, that's the same things that they said about mumble rap and stuff yeah. when it first came about yeah um but you know fast forward and then like little b now along with like soldier boy too it's like looked at as like you know godfathers when it comes yeah. to like the modern rap sound and like yeah. just this pioneers yeah pioneers in, in a lot of ways so and i feel like it probably started like at the start of the decade like mm-hmm. the 2010s where we started seeing that that quick notion to like i don't understand it get out of my face and then like be and then like kind of like go into your attic and be like what, what's this is this is this, uh, is this a black can by little b let me pop this on and then you start hearing it and like oh well, crap. a lot of times you don't realize the effect or the impact that something has until like well years into the future i mean kanye yeah. had that same spiel when 808s and heartbreaks yeah. came out you know yeah. and he really started really emphasizing auto too and then just this different sound into hip-hop and, and all of a sudden you know i mean when it first came out i i'll be honest like i was one of those people was completely aghast of how could he completely 
completely changed things up from late registration and where is uh, my hey mama kanye Mm -hmm. you know like all of that bullshit that it wasn't about until about a good three or four years after 808s came out that it, and I took another listen and I really took time to appreciate not just like how ex- how brave and experimental he was for it but also how much of an influence he would have to like hip hop for years to come way after the fact. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember listening to not even that far later. I mean, listening to like Wiz Khalifa mixtapes, mm-hmm. and like he would like be covering stuff from like 808s, yeah. and then like rapping over like the 808 beats, and then like Drake, you know, famously rapped over uh, "Say You Will" on "So Far Gone," mm-hmm. and I don't know, it may be something to do with like attention sp- attention spans, just not be being willing to compromise with hot take culture. Well, just like with either it's good or it's not kind of thing it's just like i don't get it get out of my face yeah i mean people just do us a favor the next time you listen to something or the next time you watch something or the next time you know you experience any sort of i mean you can do whatever you want like i don't care but uh, music art movies whatever like just let things sit like, you don't have to have, like, an extremist emotional reaction to every little thing you come in with. Now, I say that being probably one of the most, like, enthusiastic human beings that I know. But it's okay for things not to be the best, and it's okay for things not to be the fucking worst. Like, it can be somewhere in the middle, okay? Like, this podcast, for you right now, is probably somewhere in the middle, and that's a fucking case. <laughs> You'll grow to like it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just give things time to cook and simmer. That's all we're saying, that's folks. The, that's the dream. That's all we're saying. You came up to me earlier today with just some thoughts on how your week has been going in general and just some thoughts in regarding to, you know, how society perceives, you know, the Hispanic man and things like that. Tell me more about that. And the this kind of goes back to the first point we talked about, the FIDs. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like for a lot of... A lot of minority males, let's be honest, uh, especially Hispanic males, we kind of are still a lot of times put into that box of like being, you know, womanizers, being uh, very chauvinistic. You know, what you see in like the the old timey movies about, you know, just a very, you know, Latin lover type archetype, uh-huh. you know. And very I, Pablo the pool boy sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Taking care of uh, uh, Anna Marie's, uh, you know, leaves, getting them out, you know. <laughs> Watch you chill. Watch you chill by the uh, by the and while poolside. her husband's out of town. Exactly. You know? Yeah, uh-huh. and, he, and he just happens to be there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was just feeling this type of way this week where I just don't feel my place a lot of times in mm-hmm. society. It really got me pondering on what it means to be a Hispanic male nowadays and in the future too. Like what is to come for you know brown skid, you know, mestizo, you know, whatever it is, whatever, if you come from Belize to, you know, to Mexico, what it really means to exist nowadays and what do you want to be known as Hmm. since? Like, do do you think the narrative has changed a lot when it comes to... Hispanic men? Yeah, because I'm thinking of it more from, like, you know, a, a straight male. Yeah. You know, I think there's been a lot of progression, of course, to like, you know, Hispanic males being gay and that's great. Yeah, and trans and and that's all good. But I think it comes back because I don't want the narrative to stay the same where Hispanic men are overly homophobic, that we're always that we're always cheating, that we're always cheating. Yeah, that we're, you know, and I feel like we've kind of gotten out of that. 
Yeah. But I just feel like it's not on the forefront as it should be. Where my mind goes whenever you ask those kinds of questions uh, is the same place where most millennials' minds go. And that is, like, what's the last TV show or movie that, like, gave a proper representation of the Hispanic men? Because everything that we that we feel nowadays has to be represented through entertainment or else it doesn't count. Right, right. folks? Um, and I'm just... Because I, I can see it. Yes. Like, don't, don't get, I, I can see it. And when it comes to, like, fathers I've met who yeah. are around my age, when it comes to just the working class, you know, Hispanic male that's, you know, like just you really want, dedicated. Like, I want them to be put on, you know, the pedestal and shown that, like, hey, man, we're not just all game bangers and, you know, cheating like on players our. Players. Yeah, yeah. And, and people with multiple wives or borrachos yeah, that yeah, go that, out uh, to comidas until three in the morning and don't come back. Right. And, yeah, I, until yeah. the next day. Yeah, like I, I need the the paradigm to shift, you know. Yeah. And 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 I think about you know the whole Charlemagne black men don't cheat kind of mantra yes. that he was. I, you know, I you know I really you want go- your own Hispanic man mantra. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, want yeah. your own brown boy mantra. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it was like that because I've never met a Hispanic man that cheats. So you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, you know. But all kidding aside, yeah, I think it's very indicative that there is more conversations like this that. Mm-hmm. The people that you meet in your everyday lives aren't what most people say about them. And that, and yeah, those people do exist. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like throughout the course of history, I don't think it's always been like that. Just like any stereotype, it's always going to be played up to the maximum degree. I feel like Hispanic males have always been very, um, just, you know, good people all around. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, we just kind of go back to that whole the bad outweighing the good. And just, you know, yeah. what's, what's, really, what's really real just isn't out there like that. I'll be honest, like, you're saying all of this out loud to a brown woman who you know has had her complexes when it comes to, you know, Hispanic men in my lifetime. I used to be... And I mean, I'm getting over it. One of the quote unquote rules I used to have when I was younger is that I would not date Hispanic men because of this like self-perpetuating and sort of ironic belief that I had in Hispanic men, not necessarily all being, you know, cheaters or womanizers or that sort of thing. My thing was, is that I don't want to date a Hispanic man because I didn't want him telling me what to do all fucking day or to, you know, tell me to sit barefoot in the kitchen, you know, watching our kids or whatever, you know, and times are changing and you can't stick everyone in a box, you know, whether it's a man, woman uh, or anything in between. And I have been very guilty of that. I I don't always know necessarily how to classify the way that I've thought. Uh, Because I'll be honest, like one of the reasons that I've changed my way of thinking when it comes to that is through meeting people like you, Ricardo. And obviously I've known from when I was a kid that that all people are multidimensional. You know, we all have all these different sides to ourselves. It's just... Through my experience and and through growing up with the few brown men family members that I had, that they don't always leave the best impression on me as to what I thought a Hispanic man should be. And that's just what I ran with. In light of that, sometimes it's difficult to say, like, when you're that close to the problem and when it's actually part of your culture, who's to tell you, who's to tell me at that time that I was wrong? You know, I had to learn from myself through meeting certain individuals like yourself that 
obviously not all Hispanic men are the same, just like no Hispanic woman is the same. Yeah, I think it's uh, very important to give the mouthwash to, you know, gargle out that uh, <laughs> that bad taste Yeah. that, you know, you've been left with, you know, onto like no undoing of yourself, you know, it's just, you know, how you came up and how who you grew around with. Yeah. And, you know, that's unfortunate, you know, and, and I think... Like I said before, I think it starts with conversations like this and just really letting people know what it what it really is. Uh, I think if we'll, I think if I want to get like really deeper, it would also come down to the fact of changing the narrative of like what it is to be a man in general and be this skin color mm-hmm. and be not not following into the tropes of you know the you know the machismo. Yes. You know, and really trying to get out of that box of, well, they told me never to cry. They told me that I can't show my feelings. They told me I can't do this. That's some bullshit. But I'm, but I'm, but I'm literally dying on the inside. Yeah. So, and I don't know who else I can talk to this about except cry myself to sleep kind of thing. Yeah. And like, just, just knowing that, you know, people generally do care, you know, I think, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit sometimes as, as human beings to be able to extend your your pain to others. Because I feel like there are people that may, we're willing to show compassion and listen, at the very least. I don't think we're go- that person that you reach out to is going to have all the answers. When in that time you may want some, you may need some answers. But I don't think there should be a obligation. You know, I think just being there for that person is enough. Yeah. When you live inside your own head, like shit gets really repetitive up there, you know? And so when you're trying to like work through your own shit and you find yourself repeating the same issues in your head over and over again, you think who would want to listen to this? I do feel like sometimes open communication um, would solve a lot of things when it comes to like mental health. And I've experienced a lot of things personally in my life, not just with me, but through certain family members and uh, certain friends that when people don't communicate, no matter how not important you think it is, no matter how irrelevant you think it might be, if you're not the kind of person that typically opens up to their feelings, people are going to listen to you. People are going to want you to reach out and ask for help. Uh, and, uh, you know, we don't give people enough credit like to, to what you said. We don't give people enough credit that they care as much as they do, you know. You're second generation, aren't you? In a, in a technical way, you are kind of because your mom grew up here. Uh, well, the- my mom came from Mexico here when she was 12. Okay, but she grew up pretty much since then yes. here, here in the States, right? Yeah, but I guess technically I'm first generation. Because she was born there. Yeah, because yeah. she was born so there. So you, you almost said like in a weird middle. Yeah, I'm a one in, I'm 1.5 generation. Yeah, so exactly. 1.5 so, yeah. generation So you sit like American. in a, you sit like in a weird middle yeah. of like this whole uh, first generation, second generation. Because I feel like that's a real, I feel like that's a good topic that a lot of people don't touch on, mm. the divide between first and second. Because I feel like more, more Latino you know, Hispanic people are more uh, willing to accept the fact that a second generation person who doesn't speak Spanish, it, they can get by with it pretty much because they know like, oh, claro. your mom, yeah. you know, your mom's grandparents immigrated here and then they grew up here and then they had you. Mm-hmm. So obviously, if you didn't know Spanish, OK, nobody's going to throw rocks at you for that. Yeah. But when it comes to that first one, mm-hmm. that's where you get it, you know? Yeah, when, you when have it, no choice. It's almost like, oh, you, you're in, how old are you? 
You're 15 yeah. and you don't know. Where's your mom from? Michoacan? She's from yeah. Sinaloa and, and and you don't know hardly a lick of Spanish. Oh, you did. Oh, you forgot. Oh, not, that's not good enough. Like yeah. that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it around the school who's like 60 percent Hispanic. <laughs> like yeah. it's not gonna cut it here. Um, I think it's a very uh, it's, it's a very dynamic situation. Really think about it because it almost it, it it's not even almost it does create like a divide because I've 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 had clear. I can have clear memories of like meeting somebody who was second generation and just just seeing that they were completely I guess Americanized mm-hmm. for lack of a better word like when I spoke when I speak to them I can tell that they don't really have a and not like this is not their fault you know this is just how they grew up they don't really have that that innate culture that you that pull that innate Hispanic influence yeah that you yeah. that you pull out of people even though they may look you know, yeah. brown than all. Be as brown brown, as... Yeah, you know, brown as you know, coffee. Yeah. You know, whatever. They're not displaying that that swagger about them, that that certain motif that you expect mm-hmm. out of Hispanic people, and you and you catch that quickly. I I know I have. Yeah. And then I like, and I think to myself, you know, I'm like, what's your last name, Gutierrez? I'm like, oh, hmm, okay. And then I, then I'll start like forming in my head. I'm like, like like, where'd your where, where'd your mom grow up at? Oh, Virginia. I'm like, ah, okay, I got it. Yeah. See, but he, here's the spiel with that, homie, is that whenever I hear people talk like that, that to me, even though, like we just established, I'm technically first generation. I mean, if we want to be like quirky about it, 1.5 generation. But I say all of to say that they shouldn't be outcast is what I'm saying. That's, that does, that what does, I was about to that, say. That, that sounds that, really problem. That, that's no, no, problematic no, no, shit. No, 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 no. You know? I'm just saying it doesn't make. Yeah, I was going to make the point. And I'm going to let yeah. you go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Let you finish. Yes. <laughs> It doesn't take away from the fact of who they are, yeah. you know, culturally. You know, I'm not just like the main point is just because you don't uh, display these over, uh, over, over apparent um, qualities of what you typically that doesn't make you any less this, you know. So yeah. to your point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's really the point that I find myself driving home a lot. Trauma is such a strong word, ladies and gents. Uh, mujeres and hombres, you know, I grew up in a high school. I grew up in a high school or a middle school where most of my friends were, you know, in the theater arts sector, you know, and most of my friends, uh, a handful, a very handful of them were Latinos and Latinas. But m- most of the latina girls that would see me walking down the hall you know with my broken spanish i I just remember getting picked on and teased and all of this stuff and of course like it it bothered me i i felt very much confused because i didn't because i didn't understand why i didn't fit in with them at the same time i never really felt like i fit in with the groups of my friends that i inherently had either in theater and stuff so it just became very much this era of in betweenness you know like i said my mom she uh came here from mexico with my grandparents when she was 12 years old right so i didn't get that typical first generation experience where you know you every time you guys drive to mcdonald's you have to order for your parents through the drive-through you know i didn't have to go through that because by the time that my mom was 12 and older and all of that she was already fluent in english you know and she didn't need me the way that other that most immigrants 
immigrants need their first generation children typically so when i got assimilated out of speaking spanish there was nothing at home that was anchoring me to that language now that i'm older and i'm relearning the language because i want to because i want to learn closer to my roots that's an entirely different thing but it takes so many years for a hispanic a latina latino uh, to accept that you don't have to check all the boxes you you don't have to be able to you know cook a particular receta right off the top of your head or like speak a certain language fluently to be exactly who you are it does not make like you said it does not make you any less hispanic it doesn't make you any less american and it puts you in this like perfect beautiful amalgamation of everything in between and it's so much easier said than done because there's so many times where so much so many of us feels like feel like we're either too much of one thing or not enough of another thing and when we keep in mind that there will always be something that we can do to get closer to our culture and honor our culture whether it's like learning a new recipe or you know uh talking to our grandparents and asking them about what their life was you know back in uh, mexico or, or honduras or wherever there will oh there's also no shame in just you know watching like full house or boy meets world or sex in the city you know you can do it all and you can have it all and it doesn't make you any less of who you are uh, I do want to touch on the fact, though, of, like, the, the comeuppance, you know, of, you know, like, for you, for example, like, you touched on, you know, not having to order for your mom in a drive-thru, whereas, you know, the complete opposite of that was, you know, with me also being the oldest child, you know, mm-hmm. having to deal with, you know, stuff that, in reality, I shouldn't have to deal with, like, feeling, filling out job applications when I'm yeah. eight yeah. for, you know, my parents, you know, uh, going to certain places to start translating for them you know as a child and you know just being put in these positions that you know over time become normal to you you know now that i'm older i can i can like complain to my mom and tell her like you know you you know you should take me like everywhere (laughs) you know just to like let the lady know that you want to clean her house right and like and i'm like uh, and i just 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 vented to her how annoyed i was as a kid i'm like i don't want to be doing that as a 10 year old but yeah, I think it's like certain stuff like that that kind of like just ingrains like this like this pride of being yeah. like first generation like like you don't know what it's like. Like to, you had to pick up your parents on your shoulders in a way and in, in such a younger age and in a way that most other kids don't really relate to in yeah. that sense. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, I, I had to do a little bit about about that with my grandparents when my mom wasn't around, but that's the extent of it. Yeah. Uh one one thing I've always talked to like other friends about uh, was the fact that, like, you know, just one decision could have impacted my life uh, in such a crazy way where they took the chance to come over here. But what if they decided to stay? That 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 scenario plays in my head a lot because I'm like, dang, what would have been like to be Ricardo growing up in Mexico, growing up in El Salvador, yeah. you know, and not and just knowing that life and not being here and just thinking about, you know, the opportunities and being fortunate to be over here, you know? You know, I think, you know, I think, you know, being in America, you know, with all the problems we have, I think there is still good. You know, I think there is a lot of opportunities here that you don't get with a lot of places, um, especially coming from Latin America, where, you know, the the situation isn't always the best. You know, even though I still love the places, you know, I hate when people complete write it off and call it crap. I, I will never stand for that. But, you know, places, you know, countries could do better for sure. 
Well, including America, especially yeah, right now. Yeah, including America. Yeah. But my point is that there is just like this in, this just ingrained feeling of like pride. Like I know what it's like to be on the cusp of fully ingrained in the culture, but also being on this side and experiencing a whole different life. Yeah. And being able to relate to both. Even yeah. though you can still be, you know, I'm pretty sure you experienced it. I, I know I have, like almost being outcasted by people who are like really really you know from mexico from and like them like oh you can't sit with us kind of thing like you know yeah you're like even though you're you know spanish you know you're not spanish spanish you don't know this you don't know you know you don't know this type of have you been to a jaripeo like you don't know any stuff like that there's no shape in you going back to try to rediscover what some of your roots are and you should not be shamed for it I mean, white people do it all the fucking time. You know, that's why they have, uh, what's it called? All the ancestry.com and all of that bullshit, you know, because they're always trying to figure out that they're like 132 Native American or whatever. Not only are we American, not only are we Hispanic, but and also we're trying to get in touch with both those sides of us as best as we can and take the time to not only not shame ourselves, but not shame other people in their own individual journey within that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I do also want to go ahead and I am excited to talk to you about, uh, Palm Springs. So, uh, this is a movie that, uh, came out a couple of weeks ago on Hulu and it stars Andy Sandberg and Kristen Milo. I never know how to pronounce it. Yeah, something like that. Uh, The long awaited mother from How I Met Your Mother stars opposite of Andy Sandberg in Palm Springs. And this movie is kind of like the best way I would describe it would be Groundhog Day slash Safety Not Guaranteed slash Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's from the production company Neon. This particular production company I love because they've also created other movies like Parasite, you know, obviously, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire, two of my favorites. And we just we just finished watching it and I have a couple of different opinions about it, but I want to hear your thoughts Why first. Does it have to be me first? Because, because you're the most eloquent out of the two of us. Not, you're more eloquent than me, believe Fisha. it or not. Fisher, anyway. Uh, okay, I'm pretty straightforward. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. I loved it just... I always try to look, and I and I hate this because I talk uh-huh. a, and I tr- I try to talk intellectualism, but I don't really care about that stuff. Yeah, I really don't. I just like deep conversations, but as far as like being intellectual, nah, bro, bro, I grew up in yeah. the world, man. I'm ignorant. I'm yeah. ignorant as as everything there is. Like that's why we're a good balance. Bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like like yeah, like no. I love the film. It was really good. Yeah, they both killed it. You know, um, Christy, Andy, amazing chemistry. Uh, they played back back and forth with each other very well. Uh, it was a unique premise, too. It was, yeah. That really threw me for a loop because, like I was telling you, I hadn't done any research. I just, you know, kind of just saw the, the quick uh, acclaims that it was getting, like, on the little ads. It was yeah. like, you know, this is the, the rom-com of the summer, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. And I liked the act. I liked the actors. I was like, oh, I, I really like these guys. Let me, let me watch the movie. Mm-hmm. I was a fan of their work going into it and you know no spoilers but i really like the spin they took on the whole rom-com uh formula and just the uh i guess overall message of like without giving too much away not being caught in a loop Uh never settling for doing the same thing every day and just knowing that if you're but if you're gonna do it maybe you'd rather do it with somebody that you can actually love and care about and i really and i do love that message a lot 
um, I don't know. It was funny. It was really, really funny. There was a lot of there was a lot of uh, moments for me that you know genuinely made me laugh. Uh, there was a little there was some moments that were a little bit you know cringy, a little over the top. But you know that's that's almost any rom com. You're gonna have those moments. Acting was on ten. If I had to rate it. At uh, let me say how many Ricardo stars? Ricardo does get? stars out of five. I would say. Why do you always do five? I need you to give me like one out of ten. Nah, to not, out of ten. Nah, I think five is good enough. Shit. Because they just leave. Because those those stars are just way bigger. Just think of like these giant yeah, five but then, stars. Like, you, okay, okay, okay. All right. Like, I give do it, your stars the way you fucking want to do. I I'm give not it a, here to micromanage you. I give it a four. Four out of five, Ricardo Dos Stars. Okay, you heard it here, folks. Okay, it is, uh, what's it called? Certified Ricardo Dos Fresh. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, okay, so the movie for me... I thought, I like you thought the premise was super, super original. Like I said, it gave me a lot of groundhog safety, not guaranteed for getting Sarah Marshall t- vibes. And uh, was it, uh, not 500 Days of Summer, but... Uh, uh, which one? The one with Adam Sandberg. Uh, uh, oh, oh, uh, the one with she, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, had amnesia. And, yeah, she's uh, forgetting. Did- 51st Dates. 51st Dates. 51st Dates, yeah. It was a lot of like 51st Dates, but less unaware. Yeah, yeah, and like 51st yeah. Dates was cuter too. I feel yeah. like this, it, in a lot of ways, even though this was like set as a rom-com, it was it was in a lot of ways very cerebral and very nihilistic. And by that, like, I guess that's just a fancy-ass way of me saying that, I don't know if somber is the right word. Yeah, I very, think, very, very meta. Like, you Yeah, just, very meta, very dark, yeah, you but of, it's a rom-com. It's yeah. like, a, it's supposed to be romantic and you're supposed to like, ooh and ah whenever they fall in love with each other and yeah. shit, which, you know, spoiler alert, like it happens. It's a rom-com. Okay, what do you expect? It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that certain parts of it, Jesse Eisenberg, he knocks it out of the park with his acting. I thought that Andy he was... Sandberg. Yeah, Andy Sandberg. Andy <laughs> Sandberg. Yeah, I get the two of them freaking confused, okay? White Jewish guys, whatever. Okay. How do you always <laughs> Jewish? I know I, Andy Sandberg is. I don't know about Jesse Eisenberg. But I, he, Jesse Eisenberg probably, is Jewish. Probably, probably, the the, the like, last name is pretty Jewish. Yes, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, Andy's. <laughs> but, um, I'm sorry, cut that out. Um, I, I, just, I thought that he did a phenomenal job. Like, I really love the scene where they're at the wedding reception and he's trying to get her attention and he's, like, dancing all mm-hmm. dancing his way towards her. To me, I base a rom-com over, like, the most pinnacle charming moments of the movie. And for me, the most charming moment was him dancing. And two, the, and this isn't a spoiler because, like, every rom-com has it, the big ending, I love you, blah, blah, blah speech. I I think the reason why I didn't like it as much was because one the setting I have there is one thing and I don't know why I hate movies that are based in the desert I'm about to say I'm like there's I thought you were gonna say desert I'm like because I I'm a uh, speaking of desert you know something something like that right yes like like, I don't I don't have a problem with movies that are like very I guess not the Western setting, but it looks very Western to an extent. I don't like it, but it, but it's just I don't the desert. It yeah, I, I, just, I think it just depends on the movie. I think because this one, it was so the setting to me wasn't like either it wasn't detrimental. Like they could have been almost anywhere, and I feel like I still would have liked it. Any movie that is set in dry areas where like all you see is sand and cactuses and just it depresses me. And so that's part of the reason why I feel like I couldn't really get into the film as much as I wanted to because I had like that aesthetic tick about it. But as far as the plot goes and the chemistry between the two of them, 
I liked, but I wasn't super crazy about. So if I had to give Veronica stars out of it, one out of five, because we'll go with uh, Ricardo's uh, way of doing it, uh, I will give it uh, three <laughs> out of five. Three out of five? That's Three fair. out of five that's Veronica fair. stars. That's fair, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And is it mainly because of the aesthetics? Because I feel like you're being a little bit too harsh if it's just like a setting It's thing. not the aesthetic. It's not just the aesthetics. It's because like as good of actors as as Andy Sandberg and uh, Christine, Kristen are, yeah. I, I don't know, their romance didn't captivate me. Mm. Well, I, uh, I do want to say that I'm, I'm, at least for me, I think I can consider this like Andy's coming into role because mm-hmm. i've seen like some of his other work mm-hmm. and you know you can tell that he was still kind of getting his chops as a as, as an, an actor, actor you know outside of snl yeah i mean he came to snl and then he did brooklyn 99 which he's good there too you know oh, but that, yeah but that's like uh you know that's like episodic show so you know you kind of know what you're gonna get episode per episode but just seeing him in a, in a full length like this and just seeing his acting and just kind of like a little like hey like he's He's got it. Like, I can... He's got the chops. He can do... He, I can see him doing, you know, not just romantic comedy, comedy in general, because, you know, that's kind of the school he comes from. But I can see him, you know, do a, you know, pull a... Hit, uh, uh, Uncut oh, Gems. Uh, Uncut Gems. Yeah, I can you see... You can a, see Andy doing Uncut Gems Yeah, I can see him, you know, go, going into your Uncut Gems. He does have really good physical comedy. That yeah. scene at the wedding was really yeah. impressive to me, like how yeah. much that made me laugh just yeah. by watching him move. Yeah, get into his Uncut gem, his uh, punk's drunk love bag, you know, like, mm-hmm. I can I can see definitely see his uh, his career, him picking up more role that you may not expect from him, so... Yeah, I, well, I definitely recommend if the desert does not bother you guys and if you guys, you know, love watching white people desert. fall in love, then I definitely recommend you guys it's, watch it's it. It's not it that really much good. desert, you guys. Veronica's a, a little over uh, exaggerated. Could they go between like the hotel setting and preference. the desert? It's just a personal preference, you know, take it or leave it, you y'all, know. Y'all between like a three out of five and a four out of five, you got a 3.5 yeah. uh, star rating there. So I definitely recommend that you check it out regardless of of you know my preference yeah well my preference yeah Um, it's on hulu uh, exclusive by the way yes hulu exclusive exactly it's about time for us to wrap it up with our good looking out segment so this is a segment about the things that we've been into this week um you know music movie shows things like that on netflix this week i ended up running across this show called indian matchmaking so I've never been a fan of uh, of uh, shows? reality shows, oh, reality, shows, reality shows, things like that in general. Yeah. It's just never been my cup of tea. Uh, I mean, I say that. I Okay, I'm bullshitting you guys. I'm totally bullshitting because I was a flavor of love, rock of love fiend you not be? when I was 12. Okay. Aww, yes. That, that type of stuff is like. Flavor of Love 1, gold, 2, and 3. Gold-plated trash. Yes, hoops. I Hello, love New, New York. I, I love New York. Yes. When she got her own spinoff, The Real Chance of Love. Uh, oh, my <laughs> gosh. The Real Chance of Love. I forgot all about that for sure. Oh, R- my gosh. R.I.P. R- R- Real, by mm. the way. He died of cancer. He did? Yeah, he died like 2014, something like that. Yeah. Okay, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're totally... Oh, I'm going to be distracted. Yeah. What? Yeah, he died. Real did. The one that with the really smooth, yeah, silky. Yeah, I know. Exactly yeah, he had cancer. About. Yeah, he, he he talked about it on the show, That's and then he actually horrible. he subcame to his illness. Like shit, yeah. what a downer. Sorry. I thought, no, I, it's okay. I, I, I thought I you mean, knew. Shit. Okay. Well. <laughs> anyway, you so guys. You, you could tell what kind of Wikipedia pages I would be spending <laughs> yeah. my time on. <laughs> on the real chance of love. Oh my gosh, no, but seriously, like rest in peace, the real. You know, shout out to his family. Shout out to Chance. Hope you guys are doing all right. 
But in regards to besides my whole stint of reality shows when I was a teenager, I hadn't really watched any since then up until Indian matchmaking. And I ended up loving it so much more than I thought it thought I would because it's basically Indians that either live in America or live in different parts of Asia that want to find someone to marry. So they elicit the help of this. I believe her name is Seema to go to basically help them find their perfect match right and the the reason that i love this show not only is it just beautiful to look at watching it took the stigma out of something that i think that most of us think as traditionally sort of close-minded and chauvinistic and very near in it that we think about it in such a narrow way you know when we think about matchmaking we think about oh the woman is subjected to just like marrying whoever and she doesn't get a say in it and Honestly, it what it showed me is that there's a huge spectrum to it. It's, there would be some couples, like there would be one Indian woman who was a lawyer that, you know, she's very, very picky about the kind of man that she wants to marry, but she knows that she wanted to marry someone traditional. So she elicits the help of Seema, who, you know, has a tough time finding a man that like fits into this woman's needs because she demands so much. And then you have this uh, Indian man who is in Georgia and he's like a college counselor that is like sweet and that plays D&D and he wants to find a woman that's laid back and less traditional. And I just, I I loved the show. I definitely recommend watching it. I think it's only nine episodes. It was fairly quick to watch and it was very entertaining. So it's set not just in like the, the United States, but it's like you said also like in Asia and Yeah, they go back places. and forth. They go back and forth. So uh, she's going international to try to yes, find somebody. Yes, and the, she goes through this thing called the bio database mm-hmm. and she tries to match them up and then she flies the guy in so they can meet up and if they do, they have this big Indian wedding and it's really, so, really cool. So it is still... Without being patronizing. So is it still like, you know how like a lot of Indian marriages are like arranged by the parents and there's still that aspect trying to arrange but they, also getting the help from like this, uh, this lady there is some spectrum yeah like yeah. they did emphasize about how a marriage is also like joining of the families so there was a lot of that too but it just depended on family to family you know okay I got that mm-hmm. so cool yeah. I, I like that I mean I've always been very indifferent about dating shows there are some that I really like just because it's just like that perfect, it's that perfect plate of trash that I just yeah. want to gobble up. This is really beautiful, gorgeous yeah. trash. It wasn't even trash. I can't even call it Yeah, that. I just want to, you know, like there's like some bachelors, some yeah. seasons of the bachelors that I've seen, bachelor and bachelorettes where I'm like, mm. man, this is terrible, but I can't stop watching. Yeah. And then, and then there's like, you know, like the flavor of love stuff, uh, Brett Michaels, you know, rock of love, uh, reality shows. I started getting, off of the wagon when like the basketball wives started coming in once that came in i kind of the love and hip-hop stuff i think charm school was my last foray into the, the love and hip-hop stuff i kind of like tv that's where i kind of like fell off and i'm like ah, like even though i like some of these people that are on the show like the rappers i can really care less about their girlfriends mm-hmm. wanting to pursue a rap career you know do your thing but i don't really want to watch it yeah you know? yeah i so. feel you i feel you um, even though I'm only about halfway through, but so far I am loving it, is the new uh, Amine album, Limbo. Now, I think so far that there's been two singles that have come out of it. And right now, a, a lot of the features include Young Thug, Vince Staples. This is actually his first album since, I believe, 2018, 1.5. I 
am just perpetually impressed with how consistent he is. As I replay it more and more, I'm just going to like it all the more. It's just going to be one of those albums that are that you can already tell are growers in the best way. I, I need to give him um, another chance. I was never... Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a bad artist. I just don't know what he it is. He hasn't stuck out to you. Yeah, like, it's, it was almost like... I feel the same way about uh, uh who's another one? A little dicky, like little dicky. Oh, yeah. like well, little dicky. I'm not like I said, I'm not comparing them at all. They're yeah, because the little dicky and Amina are two totally no, different. No, but things. I'm just saying how they just have like this huge uh, revere. Well, not not maybe not so much a little dicky because he a lot of people do outright hate his his rapping and stuff like uh-huh. that. Uh, Amina, I don't really see a lot of hate. Yeah. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen any hate. I've always seen pretty good appreciation for his stuff, and that's weird because I feel like he probably is right up my alley. I feel like if I were to I- I'm serious, I was listening to some of it, and you know what, Ricardo would really appreciate some of these songs right yeah. here, so I feel like if you really took a listen to Limbo, like, you would find certain ones that would really vibe with it's you. It's so weird, like, there were some artists that just passed me by, and I'm just like, mm. why did I not give them the chance? I always start questioning myself, I'm like, why did they not, you know, grab the attention, grab my attention all the way? Mm-hmm. Why is it that they, I, I still can't go to them, even though I should give them a chance? So, you know, he's one I, I definitely need to be watching out for more. So what's on your good looking out vibes for today? Me, the only thing is uh, kind of an older release at this point, but I finally got around to seeing Jojo Rabbit uh, for the first time. Oh, yes. I need to hear your thoughts on this. I have not seen it yet, so I'm kind of mad that you saw it without me, but I'm willing to hear everything that went on. It's a great movie. Great, great it? movie. Everybody put their heart into like the role from, you know, the little kid, I don't know what his name is, but he's like the main the little boy protagonist to, you know, the Jewish girl. Uh, I'm not really giving anything away because all this is like pretty apparent mm-hmm. when you watch the movie. To uh, the mom uh, who, who's played by uh, Scarlett Johansson. And then you have Watiti uh, playing uh, Adolf Hitler, who also directed the mm-hmm. movie. It's great because I don't think I've ever... It, it's great because I'm a, bit, I'm a big history buff, right? So World War Two is like one of the first, like, Things that drew my attention as a kid where I was like, oh, this is like really interesting, like war and stuff like that. You know, when you're a kid and, you know, th- that big guns, tanks, uh, these talks of like these grand skill, you know, battles. Oh, yeah, that's super stuff- fascinating to me. <laughs> stuff like that, <laughs> for me at least, drew my attention. Yeah. And, you know, learning about the, the, the stuff that you learn through history, but then also learn about the, uh, the atrocities. And learning, you know, what the Holocaust is, you know, what Hitler did and his unforgivable acts and just seeing like a movie like this. Cause I've seen so many documentaries. I've seen mm-hmm. so many spins on Nazi Germany, you know, Inglourious Bastard, the, the perfect mm-hmm. example of like, you know, really. Schindler's List. Yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. But like, but I say Inglourious Bastard because it really. Um, Parody. Parodies like, you know, really makes fun of like what it is, you know, to be in that time and, like, just going all out crazy with it. And this one does it the same way, where it's, like, it lets you know that Nazi Germany is a joke. These guys are, like, terrible people. And we're going to let you know. Even though, you know, the director, uh, uh, Watiti, is playing Hitler, you know, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Like, he's, like, very... Like, he's not self-aware. Like, he, you know, he takes himself seriously as Hitler. But, you know, he's doing, like, the most to like, let you know, like, hey, this person is, like... Uh, a real idiot and the little boy is enrolled in the hitler youth so and for people who don't really know you know hitler youth was like the this group of like young boys who were pretty much being trained to be the next nazis of the third reich oh wow yeah that happened during world war ii 
And, and this he, is supposed to be a comedy, folks. It is. It is a comedy. Because, you know, you have this boy who's, like, very infatuated with Hitler to the point that Hitler is not just a, a person in history, but he's an imaginary person within this kid's mind. That's how you see him represented in the film. He's imaginary in this kid's mind, that, and that this kid doesn't want to disappoint his imaginary friend Hitler so he's doing like the most imaginary yeah in the movie Hitler is imaginary in his head uh-huh. like it's like yeah there's a real Hitler and then there's a Hitler that exists in this kid's head as like an mm-hmm. imaginary friend that's like somebody like, like that he talks to when he's like all alone like what should I do that's what I mean like it's like it takes that very innocence of a child to like really corrupt it and like show you like hey this kid is like been brainwashed pretty much the core of the film without giving anything away is really about you you trying to be something that you know you have no business doing and in turn with the kid being part of the hitler youth which if you know if you know your history a lot of those kids didn't really have a choice but he in the movie is a very big fan of it he has you know memorabilia all over he has them on the pedestal Yeah. yeah he views it as you know something to strive for but as you watch his, pro- his his progression in the movie and like the certain character that he interacts with, you get the feeling that not just get the feeling you see. I'm not what I'm saying I am. I have compassion. I have these morals that I shouldn't really be feeling, but I am. And you know, it's like just a very uh, very unique take on what it is to not fully embrace what you think you should be. And just like a, a double take, pretty much. Yeah, sort of like coming into your own because uh, you feel like it's what you should do versus, uh, or what you actually are versus what you think you should do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it is funny too. Very, very funny. Like I said, I don't really want to give anything away, but really great film. Highly recommend it. It's on um, HBO Max. So if you have oh, yeah, HBO that's Max. right, that's right. Okay, so how many Cardo stars did it, does it get then? This one, for me, 8.5. Out of 10? Yeah, I'll give it an out of 10, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It'll probably uh, be four out of five. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's high praise right yeah, there. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I still have to check that out. All right, well, that about wraps it up for today's episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for sticking around with us. As always, know that you are loved. And, you know, whether you're black, brown, or anything in between, you always have a space for yourself here. So this has been the In Living Spanglish podcast. We out. We out.